And so Numbers chapter number 32, and just by way of introduction, I want to kind of give you some of the background of this chapter here. And here we see there's the two and a half tribes of Israel, and they're speaking back to Moses. And if you know anything about the Bible, Moses was the leader of the children of Israel. And so they were on the east side of Jordan, and they were to cross over Jordan and move into the promised land and take possession of that land. Well, these two and a half tribes, they just kind of became complacent in where they were at, and they began to think, boy, it sure would be nice just to stay here. And so they went to Moses, who was the leader of all of the children of Israel, and they went to Moses, and they said, you know, we just would rather just stay here. And, uh, you know, that wasn't necessarily a bad place for them, but they just kind of wanted to stay there. And, you know, I'd like to say that a good place can never be uh, as good as the right place. You know, sometimes in our life we've got maybe a, a place that we can be that might be good, but it's not God's best for us. I want to say a good place can never be as good as the right place. And so as the chapter goes on, they end up staying there on the east side of Jordan. And so they could have had the promised land. They could have had the land that was flowing with milk and honey. But what they basically said is, hey, we don't want God's best. We just want to stay right here on the east side of Jordan. And I want to say that a lot of Christians are content with not having God's best in their life. You know, you take, for instance, you might have a young person and maybe they get a little anxious and they, and they want to move into marriage and, and they get so anxious and they get so nervous and they think, boy, I'm 24, I, there's no one in sight. And they think, well, let me just settle for this person. You know, they've got a heartbeat and a couple legs. Maybe I'll just go on and marry that person. And sometimes we get anxious and we just settle for God's second best, but not ultimately our best. Or how about maybe a, a young person? They might try to figure out what they want to do for a career, and they just kind of settle for, life's, for their life's call, and they don't really do what maybe God wanted them to do with their life. Or how about maybe this? Maybe you're an adult here today, and, and you're a parent, and, maybe, may, or, and you, just, you don't have that genuine relationship with your children. Maybe you're just kind of floating through life, and that's a good thing. I mean, you're paying the bills. You're putting shelter over. Over the, over the children's head and you're providing food and a place for them to sleep and all that, but there's no spiritual emphasis. I'd say that is good, but that's not the best. Or maybe you're an adult and you, you, have a, you don't really have a true relationship with God himself. You don't have a, a daily walk with him. Oh, you're faithful to Sunday morning church and maybe you come Sunday night or maybe you come Sunday, uh, even Wednesday night, but there's no real genuine relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. That might be a good thing, but I'd say it's so much better to move it over into the best thing. And, you know, these Israelites were the first ones to go astray. It's interesting to note that when they moved from the east side over to the other side, uh, they, they were the first ones to go astray after they moved into that promised land. Why? Because they weren't in the center of God's will. They weren't in the best place that they could be. For instance, you take the story of David. David was in the palace. The palace wasn't necessarily a, was necessarily a bad place to be, but the palace... At that particular time when, you know, the story about David and Bathsheba and how, how he saw Bathsheba bathing, and, and David wasn't supposed to be there during that time. He was supposed to be out battling with all the other kings. He wasn't supposed to be in the palace at that time, but at that time, it was the wrong place. And you know the story. It ended up leading to a lot of heartache and a lot of, a lot of just turmoil in his life, and really the rest of his life 
was just sad and heartache and setbacks. Why? Because he was at the wrong place. Not at the, he was at the right place, but at the wrong time. And so here we are in Numbers chapter number 32. Let's read a few verses. Verse number 16 through verse down to verse 23. It says, And they came near, this is the children of Israel, and they came near unto him and said, We will build sheepfolds here for our cattle and cities for our little ones. So he's speaking about being on this, they're speaking about being on this east side of Jordan. It says, But we, we ourselves will go ready, armed before the children of Israel, until we have brought them unto their palace, and our little ones shall dwell in the fenced cities because of the inhabitants of the land. We will not return unto our houses. So what the children of Israel, these two and a half tribes, what they're saying is, okay, we're, we're here. We know we're, they're supposed to go over there. We're going to go over and help fight, but as soon as we're all done, we're going to go back to our land. And so they were, they were committing to do this. And it says, we will not return unto our houses until the children of Israel have inherited every man his inheritance, for we will not inherit with them on yonder side Jordan or forward, because our inheritance is fallen to us on this side Jordan eastward. They're saying, hey, good stuff's happening to us on this east side. And verse number 20, And Moses said unto them, If ye will do this thing, if ye will go armed before the Lord to war, and will go all of you armed over Jordan before the Lord, until he hath driven out his enemies from before him, and the land be subdued before the Lord, then afterward ye shall return and be guiltless before the Lord and before Israel, and this land shall be your possession before the Lord. So basically Moses said, Okay, if you want to go ahead and make that deal that you'll leave the east side, you'll go help your your brethren fight over here. And if you'll do that, keep your word. We'll allow you to go back to your land and do that. He said, that'd be fine. And he says in verse number 23, but he says, but if you will not do so, behold, you have sinned against the Lord and be sure your sin will find you out. The Bible says, be sure your sin will find you out. So though we're dealing with all the 12 tribes of Israel, I mean, all the two and a half tribes of Israel, and it applies to sin of all kinds, uh, and specifically the sin is basically the sin of doing nothing. And Moses said, hey, if you don't do anything like you said you're going to do, be sure your sin will find you out. This group comes to Moses and they wanted to stay on the east side. They said, let me just stay here. They had already conquered that land. They liked where they were at. They were, they were just content to be there. And, but, but you know what? There were brethren that helped them uh, conquer the east side. And now it was only fair and only right that they go back and fight on the other side with the other children of Israel. And Moses said, hey, you can stay here, but you need to go and fight. And so what Moses was saying was, hey, we're a team. We're in this together. And you know, I want to challenge us says Woodland Baptist Church, let's always remember that we are a team. It's not our family against yours. It's not one ministry against another. It's not about who receives the accolade. It's not about who we can shoot down or shoot down another brother or another sister. But he tells them, okay, we're a team. And then they tell Moses, okay, we're going to go ahead and do that. We'll fight over there. We're going to go back. And you know, the sin that's being referred to really, honestly, if we were to be truthful, it plagues many Christians today. Moses was warning the children. He says, okay, so you say you're going to go fight. Basically, what he's saying is, I want to give you a little preventive medicine. I want to tell you people, hey, but if not, if you won't do this, be sure your sin will find you out. And Moses is saying there had 
to be a fight. There had to be a struggle. And you know, there's a sin here. It's the sin of letting everyone else fight the battle. And you know, reality, church can become just a place where people come to be maybe heaped upon or people come to be adored or where they come to maybe have their emotional needs met or maybe they come to have a social gathering. But I want to warn us and warn myself tonight, this morning, that we are in a spiritual battle. We are in a battle against right and wrong. I don't have to bring up all the, the current events and all that's going on. I mean, you can look and see, and it's, it's, it's an amazing thing. But we are in a spiritual battle. Look at Ephesians 6 and verse number 12. It says, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. I could really preach a whole series on this about the, the sins that are spoken about here in Numbers. We could speak about maybe spiritual idleness. We could speak about self-indulgence or maybe selfishness or maybe unbrotherliness or maybe unfaithfulness or maybe even ingratitude or hurting others. There's a list of sins that really this entails. But to this morning, what I'd like to bring is one little truth out. Be sure your sin will find you out. You know, the sin could have been maybe disobedience, the fact that they were told to go and occupy the promised land, and yet they were a little reluctant to do it, even though they maybe they hadn't committed to do it. That was their command. God told them, go and possess the promised land. And this morning, for a few minutes, I want to look at this little thought. Be sure your sin will find you out. Or I've entitled the message, The Great Cover-Up. The Great cover up. A couple months ago, I came across an interesting story, and as I uh, saw this story, I was just amazed, and uh, it stuck with me, and I've kind of, I want to use this as an illustration to illustrate the truth of this about be sure your sin will find you out. Years ago, there was a fellow born into the city of Hendersonville, North Carolina. It, it was the year 1979, September 12, so that would make him 43 years of age today. There was a man by the name of William Dathan Holbert. This is a true story, and he was born in that area in Saluda, North Carolina. He was said to be athletic. He was muscular. He was, he was married at the age of 18, and by the age of 22, he had three children. It seemed everything seemed to be going great in his life. He seemed to, seemed to be having really a storybook life. I mean, young, uh, young married man, muscular, athletic, and he was, he was doing well, and he began to rent, run a landscape business, and on the outside, everything looked good. Everything looked fabulous. There began to be, become a little strangeness. Things began to get a little strange with this William Dathan Holbert. There, he, he, he randomly said one time, he said, boy, I want that, that dog of mine to be dead. And then a couple weeks later, the dog showed up missing, even though the dog was completely healthy and everything. And word around town began to say that Bill and his gun had something to do with it, and they were responsible for it. Whispers began swirling around the town that uh, Bill was under the... the the uh, influence of steroids, it began using drugs, and then his businesses began to fail, and he cycled through several losing uh, ventures, different business things that he tried to do, and one of them was even like a pool hall and a gym, and, and at one of these gyms, he actually became a manager, and then it was found out that Wild Bill, who, who he was later named, he ended up becoming a manager and wanted to become part owner. The only problem was the other owner of the business ended up finding out that Wild 
Wild Bill, his name was, later learned that he embezzled $25,000 and he spoke to even a real estate broker about selling that, real, that, uh, that gym to a real estate agent, even though it was, didn't even belong to him. And so he just kind of, his life began to spiral out of control. He ended up having an affair and his wife found out about it. She filed for divorce and Bill and his adulteress, they spent the next several months, they moved to, to Wilmington and they moved to Oak Island and Holbert there found a vacant home in Oak Island. And what he ended up doing was he ended up forging paperwork to a house and ended up selling a house to a developer for a $200,000 down payment. So get this, so he's over there and he's craving this money and he sells this house that doesn't belong to him for $200,000. So then they went on and they began, their life began on the run and they were involved in different things like auto theft and they began, they, they, they were pictured on America's Most Wanted, that show that's uh, used to be on TV and they assaulted a state trooper and his life was just spiraling out of control and so once his picture was up on America's Most Wanted. He said, I've got to get out of the United States. And so what he did, he grabbed that adulteress of his and they took off to Costa Rica. And in 2006, they moved to Costa Rica and there they met a wealthy American lawyer. He ended up killing this lawyer. He moved to Panama. You can see his life was just moving out of control. And the process, something about Panama, you have to realize the, the process for real estate transaction in Panama are completely different. You don't have to have like a real estate attorney to perform a real estate transaction there. Basically, all you have to do is if you're able to have the paperwork, kind of like a, a title for a car, if you have that paperwork, you can pretty much wheel and deal any real estate that you want, even if it technically isn't yours. And so he moves to Panama. And so what he ended up doing was he... In the year 2007, Wild Bill sees an ad for a house for sale. It's a three-story house, and he sees this uh, for sale, and he meets the seller. He goes up to him, begins talking to him, and he ends up befriending this guy, and he ends up spending three days with him. He ends up killing that guy and ends up getting the paperwork to this house, and all of a sudden, all of a sudden, he has this real estate in his possession now. And so Wild Bill goes and does the same thing again. He does it to a guy by the name of Bo Eisler, and so you can just see greed uh, spiraling out of control. Then all of a sudden there was a lady there by the name of Cher Hughes. Cher's was from Missouri and her husband, uh, who, who they met down in Florida, they moved down to Panama and she had a dream of just owning some real estate down in Panama and they were going to retire and just live life to the fullest. And so what ended up having after about several years, Cher and her husband, they ended up getting, they, they split up and the husband moved out of the area. He happened to be a construction guy. And what he did while they were living, while they were together, the, the Cher and her husband, they ended up buying an island in Panama. And so what they did is they built several houses on it and they had some uh, rental, vacation rental properties and everything. And they were doing well. And that was their dream. Well, they ended up getting, uh, they split up after about five years. Now here's the interesting part. Cher had two dogs. One of them, one of their names was Jack. Jack was a Doberman pincher and uh, those dogs loved Cher. Well, here comes Wild Bill onto the scene. Wild Bill meets Cher 
And sadly, this tale repeats itself one more time. He befriends Cher, ends up taking her life, ends up taking the deed to the property, and now she is, he is the owner of this property, so everyone thought. So this happened three different times there in Panama. And boy, you can imagine the suspicion began to, to rise up, and they began to think, what is going on? And so the ex-husband who was married to Cher, he got a little suspicious. He came back to that property there in Panama, and and he could see that everything was left just like normal. I mean, all her, all Cher's belongings were just in their place. Everything looked normal. It didn't look like she had purposely moved out of the area as Wild Bill so claimed. And so Wild Bill was now in the house and the husband comes back and he confronts Wild Bill about it. And he says, hey, what's going on? And hey, I want my wife's stuff back and everything. So to try to pacify Wild Bill, what, uh, to, I mean, to pacify Cher's husband, uh, I think his name was Keith, to pacify Keith, Wild Bill gives one of the dogs back to her, her ex-husband, who is still living, and some of the belongings. Well, that didn't sit real well with, with, uh, with the husband and everything. And so now the suspicion was just going around all around town. The local newspapers ran the, ran the victim's photos, and anyone see them? Wild Bill gets nervous. He takes off again. Now, remember that dog that I told you about, Jack? Jack was a Doberman pitcher. They lived on an island. Cher lived on an island. Wild Bill, one of the houses that he took possession of was literally by water a whole mile away. By water, not by land, but by water. Well, they couldn't figure out why Jack, the Doberman pincher, kept leaping off of the island, swimming one mile down the, down the waterway, going on to where Wild Bill lived. The dog would do this numerous times, and people would find the dog down there, and it was kind of a, a, a you know, everyone kind of knew each other in this area of Panama, and so what they would do, they'd grab the dog, take it back to the island, and the dog would do this numerous times. Well, Wild Bill, he just kept on going with life like it, like it always had. He just thought, well, I'll just live my life like normal. Months later, the police were able to obtain a search warrant, and they searched the home of Wild Bill. When the authorities got to that residence where Wild Bill lived, they noticed there was Jack there at that property, a mile away from his home, back on that land where Wild Bill lived. And they realized that this dog was just pacing around. It was agitated. It looked nervous. It looked anxious. And it kept running into the jungle, which was right adjacent to Wild Bill's house. The dog kept running up into the jungle and then would come back and try to get around the authorities and everything. And the dog did that numerous times until finally, the authorities thought, what is this dog doing? And so what they did is they literally decided to go and follow the dog all the way up into the jungle. I say way up into the jungle. It was just right up against the property. But the dog led them to an area where, where they took them, where the dog took the authorities to. Unfortunately, it was shocking. It was a shallow grave of Bo Eisler and Cher Hughes. They ended up arresting him in another neighboring country, uh, Costa Rica, and he ended up getting sentenced to 46 years in prison. Why do I say all that? I want to bring out the truth that I wonder what, what, what God's going to use in your life to uncover a sin. 
You know, what started off in, in Wild Bill's life as just, a, just a using drugs or maybe just greed or maybe just lust ended up spiraling out of control. And God says, hey, I'm going to send a little dog, a little Doberman pincher named Jack, and I'm going to uncover that sin. Wild Bill thought he had it all covered up. No one knew about it. He said, boy, my parents don't know about it. My, I mean, no one knows about it. But I want to say that God knew about it. And he, if it takes a dog to uncover the sin, he can do it. It's an amazing thing. The simple dog on an island a mile away uncovered that whole case. He thought he could just cover up his sin. The Bible says, be sure your sin will find you out. I want to ask you, Woodland Baptist Church, what in your life is there that you think no one knows and no one will find out about it? The Bible says in James chapter 1 and verse number 14, it says, but every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. So we see the progression of sin. But every man, when he is tempted, when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed, verse number 15, then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. You know, that sin that maybe this morning you don't really think is that big of a deal. Maybe that emotional affair with another person that is not your spouse. You might say, well, I'm not physically involved with that person. But you keep flirting with sin and you keep flirting with and you keep having the text messages and you keep, you keep doing the lunch dates and everything. You keep meeting up for lunch. That emotional affair, if we're not careful, if you're not careful, and I shouldn't say we, but if you're not careful, it can lead to more and more than you would never expect. The Bible says, and when it is finished, it bringeth forth death. You might say, well, maybe there's that sin that you think is really not a big deal. I just occasionally drink, and I've got it all under control. Well, it's a, a sin will take you farther than you want to go. It'll keep you longer than you want to stay. It'll cost you more than you want to pay. Look at Proverbs 23 and verse number 32. It says, at last it biteth like a serpent. That snake's going to come and just get you. It's going to bite you. And it stingeth like an adder. It stingeth like a scorpion. Boy, it's something we can't control. This, this verse here, the context of this verse is alcohol. How about those lies that you might tell? You might say, well, it's just a half-truth. But it can mushroom into something much, much more. It can mushroom into much bigger things. How about that glance that maybe which becomes a stare, and it's a stare at someone who's not your spouse. Boy, be sure your sin will find you out. Dear Christian, let's be careful about this thing of sin. I know church sometimes we, can, we want to encourage and we want to lift up, but there's still something. God hates sin. It's still in the Word of God. And why did Christ die on the cross for us? To give us eternal life. From what? From sin. Oh, are we still going to fall from time to time? Yes, but let's be careful. Let's guard our life. Let's guard our heart. Let's realize, be sure your sin will find you out. I don't need to go through a whole list of sins this morning. The Holy Spirit's big enough to come to your life and come to your heart and just tap you on your shoulder and say, hey, Bobby, or hey, Perry, or, or hey, so-and-so, or, or Kyle, or Pete, or Elijah, or, or Bill, or whoever, or Johnny, or whoever. God's big enough to go ahead and tap you on your shoulder and speak to you and say, hey, maybe there's a sin in my life that I'm covering up, that I'm trying to hide. Numbers 32, be sure your sin will find you out. What's in your life that you think is just buried out in the jungle? 
No one knows about it. Your wife doesn't know about it. Your husband doesn't know about it. Your, your church doesn't know about it. Your children don't know about it. Your pastor doesn't know about it. Your parents don't know about it. Other Christians don't know about it. Your coworkers don't know about it. What's in your life that you are covering, that you're just thinking, boy, no one knows about it. Just me, no one knows. Hey, I want to tell you, God knows all about it. Look at this verse, Proverbs 15 and verse number three. It says, the eyes of the Lord are in every place beholding the evil and the good. Hey, God sees all the good, but he also sees all the bad. He sees that sin in your life that you're harboring, that you're trying to cover up. God says, hey, I see it. You can't hide it from me. Jeremiah 17, 9. You know, every, every so often it's good for us just to take inventory of our life. It's good sometimes just to come to church and listen to somebody preach and say, boy, maybe there's some sin in my life that I need to take care of. Maybe there's an old-fashioned altar that I need to come to and just make things right and ask God to help me. The Bible says in Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Maybe we need to take inventory. Maybe there's nothing outwardly that's just flagrant that everyone knows about it, but maybe there's something in your heart that you know is between you and your Savior. I think of that song, Nothing Between My Soul and the Savior. You know, for hundreds of years, man has thought that he can just hide his wickedness. You know, if others don't know, what's the difference? The difference is wrong is still wrong whether others know or not. You know, man tries several ways to try to excuse their sin. They try to, number one, they try to redefine it. You know, they might take drunkenness and they want to call it alcoholism. They might take adultery and they rename it and they redefine it and they say, well, it's just an affair. Or they might take the, the word pornography and they just might call it, this is an interesting one, adult literature. What a nice way of saying that, ain't it? And we try to redefine it. We try to just make it better on our ears and make it better on our conscience. We might call stealing economic determinism. You know, you're just determined to try to do better in your life economically. And so now I justify, now I make, make it okay that I can steal. No matter what you call it, God's word calls it sin. And we must look at it like God calls it. It's not fun. It's filthy to flirt with sin. So we try to redefine it. We try to make a new meaning to it so then maybe we can feel better about it. How about this? We try to rationalize it. We try to explain it away. We try to rationalize it in our mind. It's the mental process whereby we justify our actions by assigning them a motive that appears to legitimize the conduct. So in other words, what we do is we tell ourselves basically the end justifies the means. You know, you say, well, I'm over here. I don't have money, so I'm going to go ahead and steal or I'm going to go ahead and do this to try to get money. I'm going to, I'm going to be corrupt in my business dealings. I'm going to do that, but boy, I'm going to be able to provide for my family. I'm going to be able to give a tent to the church. God calls it sin. We, we can't redefine it. We can't rationalize it. God says, hey, look at sin as I look at it. You might say, well, everyone else is doing it. You know, the world says, oh, go ahead and just abort the baby because we can't produce millions of youngsters who, don't have adequate, who won't have adequate medical and educational facilities. They, they rationalize it. They think it's okay to go ahead and just take a life. 
Because we don't want that child to live down here and not have proper education and proper medical. We justify it, and we, we declare it okay in our mind. I want you to pray for the home state that I'm from. Lord knows they need prayer. But I just came across this last night. They are now, this week, they're going to go to, 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 to the, the, the courthouse about this. It's, Senate, it's a bill, AB 2223, and here's what it says, that they are now trying to make it completely legal to kill a newborn child days and even weeks after the child is born. Days and even weeks after the child is born. They, further, they want to say it's not only legal, but you can't even bring uh, criminal uh, charges against the mother. You can't even bring civil charges against the mother. Do I have to tell you that we are living in the last days? We are living in that spiritual warfare that I just mentioned a little bit ago. For now's no time to redefine it. No, now is no time to rationalize it. Now what they want to do, you say, oh, well, that's just California. They're just a bunch of wackos. True. But... <laughs> Here's what they're trying to say now. Now what they want to do is they want to allow your child, your son or daughter, to be able to fly to California and commit that same abortion over there. That's another bill that they're going to be voting on this very week. God help us. We can't redefine it. We can't rationalize it. Boy, be sure your sin will find you out. I wonder if God says to America, hey, America, be sure your sin will find you out. I want to say to us Christians, be sure your sin will find you out. Numbers 32, I want to zero in on this verse. We've got just a couple minutes. I want to give you three, don't get nervous. I want to give you three quick things, what I see in this verse. Number one, I see a confidence. The Bible says in verse number 23, be sure. There's a confidence there. God says, hey, don't doubt it. It's going to come to pass. Put it somewhere on your calendar. Mark it down. Be sure your sin will find you out. I see a confidence. Don't wonder if it's going to happen. Don't, don't think, oh boy, is God's word really true? God's word will never return void. That sin that we try to hide, God says, oh yeah, I've got a way to uncover it. I'll just go ahead and send a little Doberman pincher along your way. That, that dog is going to jump in the water, swim down the road, and going to pace back and forth. And when the authorities get there, the dog's going to take the authorities right up there and lead them right to where that grave is. As crazy as that sounds, God has a way of uncovering your sin and uncovering my sin. He can use any method that he can. I see a confidence. Number two, I see a commission. I see a commission. The Bible says, be sure, but then it says, your sin. A commission. We've committed sins against God. We've, we do things that displease a holy God. That fit of rage on the road, those unkind words, that unfaithfulness, those pictures or video on your phone, God knows about it. He says, be sure your sin. I see a commission. I put this statement up on the screens. The, it says here, the sin that brings you pleasure today will be your master tomorrow. Young people, listen to me. If I can grab you and just shake you and say, be sure your sin will find you out. The sin that brings you pleasure today will be your master today. So many young people, they think, boy, I can just flirt with sin and boy, there's pleasure in it. I'm just going to be okay. But that sin that brings you pleasure today will be your master tomorrow. And it's sad 
I don't mean to be gloom and doom, but it's sad. Then we get the phone calls at age 27 and 30 and 35. Why? Because they ran out and sin. All of a sudden, they have scars, and they come back to church. And I want to say, we do want you back. We love you. We care for you. But why not say, hey, the sin that brings me pleasure today is going to be my master. I'm not going to give in to it. I'm not going to, 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 to partake of it. I'm going to do what I know I need to do. I'm going to take the counsel of a godly pastor. I'm going to take the counsel of a godly youth director. I'm going to take the counsel of, of my parents who love me and want the best for me. I'm going to realize and just say, God, God said, uh, the, the Bible tells us, hey, there's a progression to sin. It just starts off small and then it just balloons out. We think we can play with fire and not get burned. Listen to us. It's not good. It's not just good for young people. It's good for us adults. The sin that brings us pleasure today will be our master tomorrow. We can't play with fire and not get burned. We can't play with sin. I see a confidence. The Bible says, be sure. I see a commission. It says, your sin. Then number three, I see a coming forth. It says, be sure your sin will find you out. We try to hide it. We try to downplay it. We try to rationalize it. We try to cover it. We try to redefine it. We try to rationalize it. But we can't, we can't hide it from the holy God. God knows all about it. God says, go ahead and cover it one day. Go ahead and think everything's going to be okay. But I'm going to send a little dog by and he's going to uncover that sin. Wild Bill thought he had it made. Thought he had all the money. Thought he had all the, the, the wealth of those homes. But God sent that dog by. What is it going to be that blows your cover? It will catch up with you. We think we can play with fire and not get burned. But sin, just like chickens, they're always going to come home to roost. Always. I'm a city slicker. I didn't know all about chickens. I'm starting to learn now that we got 12 of them. But I was amazed. You open up the chicken coop door. You let the chickens out about 2 or 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Pray they don't go over to the neighbor's house and do their thing all over their porch like they like sometimes do. Uh, but then an amazing thing, the sun goes down. What do the chickens do? They know to go right back into their home. Sin, just like chickens, they're going to come home to roost. Why not deal with your sin today? It's better to mourn over sin today than be forced to mourn because of judgment tomorrow. Why not just deal with that sin today? Don't try to cover it up. Boy, you think, well, I, my, my spouse doesn't know about it. My family doesn't know about it. Oh, Brother Mark, it's really not that big of a deal. And all of a sudden you lose, you start feeling that, that vice, that grip of sin just getting stronger and stronger, what turned out used to be just an occasional glance, now it becomes every week, then it becomes every other day, then it becomes every day, then it becomes every hour, then it becomes just, it's, you're consumed with it, and you feel like, I'm out of control with this. Don't cover it up. Proverbs 28, verse number 13, it says, He that covereth his sins shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. I want to say this morning as we close, we can cover it up or we can let God cover it up. Psalm 32 in verse number one, what a good verse. Blessed, uh, that word blessed means happy. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. I don't know about you, I want my sin covered, not by me, 
but I want it covered by a holy God. And I want to tell you tonight, maybe you're here for the very first time, God died on the cross to cover your sin. He died on the cross and he said, not, he was about to go to the cross. He said, not my will, but thine be done. done. Why? Because he was saying, I don't, I don't necessarily want to go through all the, the, the turmoil of Calvary. I don't want to uh, go through all that, but God, it's your will that I die for the sins of the world. He's, he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repent. And God wants to forgive you today. God wants to cleanse you from your sin. The Bible says, hey, if we'll just come to him, he'll come, come in, he'll sup with us, he'll give us eternal life. Hey, there's a great cover-up. I'm glad when I was eight years old, God came and he made a cover-up for me. He said, hey, Mark, you trusted in me. You put your trust in me. I'm going to cover your sin. Wash it white as snow, clean you, justify you, declare you righteous. If you're here today, you've never asked Christ into your heart. The Bible's so clear. All we have to know is that we're a sinner. Because of our sin, we deserve to go to a place called hell. But God sent his son to die for us, to give us eternal life. We say, well, what do I have to do to accept this wonderful gift? Here's the good news. God says, all you have to do is put your faith and trust in me. The Bible says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You say, well, Brother Mark, you don't know what I've done. You don't know where I've been. It doesn't matter. God knows all about it. God's willing and wanting to save you today. Will you ask him to save you? God wants to save you. There's a great cover-up. Will you cover your sin? Or will you let God cover your sin? Let's have every head bowed and every eye closed.